I'm Donna Peters, and this is season three of the award-winning Me Sweet podcast. The Me Suite is a community of career-driven, life-minded professionals sharing our stories, sharing what it means to lead our lives with purpose, planning, and power. What I call leading with a Me Suite mindset. Let's get in there. Buckle up, Me Suite listeners. I have Dr. Lubna Rashid in the Me Suite, and this is an incredible story. She was born in Iraq and had to flee for political and safety reasons to Jordan, had to flee Jordan for similar political and safety reasons to the U.S. when she was 21 years old. She now lives in Berlin, but she truly is a wonder of the world, and that will unfold here in just a moment. She did her undergrad in biotechnology and a master's in industrial engineering, and through her experiences in both big, huge corporate landia and extensive not-for-profit work with displaced people in conflict environments, it led her to pursue a PhD. She did her PhD in entrepreneurism in conflict environments and is now doing postdoctorate work still in entrepreneurism and around the topic of sustainability in fragile environments like the COVID environment, like the mental impacts of the COVID environment on entrepreneurs. I'm just thrilled to have this discussion, and I welcome Dr. Lubna Rashid to the Me Suite. Donna, thank you so much for this introduction. I really have nothing to say to that <laughs> except thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, I, I have a clean sheet of paper here, and I'm going to learn a lot. <laughs> and there's so many ways that we can enter your story, but I want to start with where we always start, core values. What are your core values? So I think for me, um, it all goes down to, comes down to one thing. Mm. I try to have my life decisions from the micro to the macro be driven by an attempt to increase happiness and reduce suffering. Mm. And that often starts with myself as well. That might sound really selfish, but this is also something I learned from my days working on the borders in um, on the Balkan route in Eastern Europe, helping refugees. Mm. Because if you do not take care of your own mental health, if you don't take, if you don't get enough sleep, if you don't um, do some little things on a daily basis that increase your own happiness, it becomes really difficult to help others or to create any type of long-term impact mm. on the long run. You cannot have live an unsustainable lifestyle for yourself while trying to make the world more sustainable. So I think everything comes down to increasing happiness or reducing suffering mm. as a key driver of day-to-day decisions. Adding to that, I would say that we need to do this, or at least I try to do this, while trying my best to accept the limitations of myself and others. Mm. It is not always easy to achieve big goals. It is not even easy to achieve small goals. Going to the gym every day might be a hassle. So even the smallest things can be sometimes very difficult. And it's important to try to achieve a balance between doing things that will make an impact, um, cause an increase in happiness or a reduction in suffering, while at the same time balancing this with accepting it when it really doesn't work out the way that I set out for it to. Mm -hmm. So how has that core value driven the decisions that you've made to leave big, comfortable, huge corporate America (laughs) 
and go into these extremely difficult situations, helping people through not-for-profits. These are refugees. These are displaced people in some of the most conflict-ridden places in the world. I'm aware you've worked in uh, Syria, Lebanon. You've studied conflict in Nigeria, Pakistan. How did that core value drive the decision to get to that type of work? So, interestingly, at the very beginning, when I decided to leave my work for a large consulting company in the U.S., where I had a pretty comfortable life, mm. and um, I guess at the time, I also I had a notion that reducing suffering is mostly something that nonprofits do. Mm. It is something that is done by people working with um, people that do not maybe care so much about making money. And I saw these two things as contradictions. Mm. And I thought that by leaving the corporate world and living off of my savings for a few years and maybe joining some nonprofits, which which would be a huge pay cut. And in many months, I made no income at all and, mm-hmm. you know, lived off of the money I had in the bank, thanks to the few years of consulting mm-hmm. before that. And um, I, I think that was uh, that was a definitely a big core value for me that I want to do something that really helps others be happier because there's just so much injustice in the world. I was feeling very guilty about having come from mm-hmm. an area in the world that has seen so much pain and that and that why do I get to be enjoying right now and having this comfortable life? It felt wrong. Mm. Looking back at it, obviously, and I don't think it was wrong, but that was just a feeling that I had in that moment as also a very young and motivated person who's just trying to find her way in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left, and then uh, the first thing I did after leaving my corporate job is that I moved. Uh, that was in 2015. There was around the fall of that year, there was the so-called uh, refugee crisis in Europe was at its peak. And there were about, there in some days, there were about five to 10,000 people leaving mostly Syria, but also Afghanistan and Iraq and other surrounding countries. And they were leaving and going on foot and or by boat, trying to cross from through Turkey from Asia to Europe. Mm. And this was just fascinating to me that that many people are leaving on a daily basis. Mm. And I had the opportunity to get refugee status in the USA many years before that. But for me, that was a formal application process through the UNHCR. And I didn't have to go through walking in Mm. forests in the middle of the night in winter. So I felt like, oh my God, I, I need to do something there. Yeah. And I can do something. So I left and I went to, um, I just took a small backpack and I flew to Hungary at the time, to Budapest. And from there started a journey of hitchhiking and traveling around, renting cars uh, full of uh, donations, full of blankets, full of whatever people needed at the time. And going between, driving between Croatia, Serbia, Slovakia, Slovenia, and, and Germany and helping refugees who had quite substantial needs along the way. Mm. But uh, one thing I like that, that happened to me throughout this whole journey is that I, I was just exhausted. Mm-hmm. There were many moments of, I was like sleeping in the mud. It was like, just not, 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 you know, it was very different from flying around and staying in four or five stars hotels yeah. to, to help my clients. And um, I had many moments of thinking, I can't do this anymore. I need therapy right now. I need someone to like, I, I can't, I can't, uh, 
I'm just too mentally tired. I'm, I'm seeing people suffering so much on a daily basis and really not being to systematically do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I can help as a little fish in a huge pond, but how much can I really do? So this is when I started also prioritizing my own happiness and my own suffering reduction, let's say, mm-hmm. and realizing the importance of doing that in if I ever want to do anything that on the long term is impactful to the society around me. Yeah, so insightful for such a young person at that time. There's another revelation that you also had through that process. Can you share that with the listeners? It's that revelation that you learned uh, because your mindset now had the experiences of both big corporate and not-for-profit. Can you share that insight with us? It's fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And this was the main reason I ended up then staying in Berlin and doing my PhD there. So one of the biggest frustrations I had while doing that kind of work was that I loved the intention of the nonprofits. Mm. I loved that there is this huge focus on let's make a big difference. Let's reduce people's suffering. And there's a big drive to do that. But in reality, the entire nonprofit system is marred by so many inefficiencies. There are so many issues with the way people are being helped. There are specific systems. And I'm not saying people are doing this on purpose or people are trying to not really help others in a sustainable manner. It's just that the intention is often met by actions that are not really matching this intention. Mm -hmm. And so I had so many days where I was exhausted, sleeping in a tent on a border somewhere and thinking, oh my God, why can't the intention of those nonprofits be combined by the action of those for-profits where I used to work. Wow. Why is this not possible to bring together? Why do these things have to be contradictory? Mm -hmm. And I think that's when I had my wake-up moment and thinking, okay, actually, I could have actually maybe made more long-term impact on those communities or for those communities, which I am currently trying to help, if I had maybe stayed in the for-profit where I used to work. Or at least if I would have used the resources and strategies that are had been employed in that for-profit environment where I was. Wow, what a moment. Yeah, that was that was a big eye-opening. And it's the same time moment. And in the same time, it was a, like a big identity crisis because I'm like, right. but I'm now in this world and what am I supposed to do now? Because it was very frustrating seeing how the nonprofits are getting things done or not getting things done. Mm-hmm. There's a very focus on top-down strategies that are not empowering those recipients of support to take charge of their own destiny. That is just so much, so little focus on helping people enter the job market, on using their own skills, which are often good skills. Mm-hmm. Everyone has good skills and everyone knows something that the rest don't. And so there was very little focus on helping the people uh, that we are trying to help in manifesting their own potential and too much focus on telling them what to do. Mm. And the corporate world is much better at helping your employees um, uh, or helping employees in general get things done and getting things done, meeting deadlines very quickly, very efficiently. You come up with all of those uh, process maps that are that are helping reduce waste in your mm-hmm. day-to-day processes. When I, I, I came up with the idea with one of the nonprofits I was supporting that can we like make a process map about all the things we're trying to do in this camp uh, to try to like make things more efficient? They're like, what? A process what? (laughs) A process what? (laughs) And I even got some resistance thinking that, hey, don't come here with all your corporate jargon on here. That's a, we're nonprofits. We don't do that. 
And to me, that was also a moment of, why don't you do that? Uh, you know, there's like these two worlds. I mean, I was even guilty of thinking that the corporate uh, world is, you know, separate from the impact world or the, the social support world. Yeah. But slowly I came to realize that these worlds not just can be combined together, but should be combined together. Wow. And there shouldn't really be a separation. Yeah. And that's actually when I started uh, getting motivated to research ways to combine that and how can that be done effectively. And, and that's how I started doing my PhD. And my PhD focused on business as empowerment and focusing on business as means for sustainable development. And I focused on entrepreneurship and conflict areas in some of the most um, supported areas through international aid in the world and looking at entrepreneurs there and how they are actually successfully manifesting their own powers and changing the environments around them and uh, writing stories for their communities. And um, I started yeah, very much working on at least creating knowledge and researching how this can be done. So when you are accepting your Nobel Peace Prize or equivalency. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so I, I am. I'm I am, blushing. You can't see that, but I'm, I really am. I'm visioning this for you. I hope that you will remember me when this happens. Well. You're going to be on this stage. I feel it in my bones. <laughs> and the quote that's going to get you there is You have combined the intention of the not for profit world with the action of the for profits. Absolutely. That perspective is so powerful and uh, it makes you a, a wonder of the world. Um, I, I'm very humbled by those words. Um, I think it just makes me a person who read a lot, tried a lot, failed a lot and yeah. um, tried different things in different industries with very different people or people who think they are very different. Mm. And ultimately seeing all the parallels and, and that's it. I, I wouldn't give myself more credit than that. It's truly, truly amazing. I want to go back to something that you said about your postdoc work, which is at mm -hmm. the intersection of entrepreneurs and mental health in fragile environments. Can you say mm -hmm. a little bit more about what is the hypothesis that you're testing there or what, what is mm -hmm. that work? What do you plan to do with that mm -hmm. work? So my work focuses generally on entrepreneurship and sustainability. Mm -hmm. And I focus on that particularly in highly challenged environments, which includes fragile countries, uh, fragile situations. When I say fragile countries, I mean, uh, I refer to countries or contexts where the governments are unable or unwilling to support the majority of citizens mm -hmm. uh, reach, re, uh, fulfill their basic needs. And when I talk about fragile situations, this could be a crisis situation like the COVID pandemic, mm -hmm. like a natural disaster, et cetera. And one of the things, uh, one of the main things um, that I try to focus on is the concept of psychological sustainability. And that's where the mental health part comes in. Mm. So I believe if we want to achieve sustainability on the economic development level or on the ecological support or ecological, uh, like saving the environment or ecological development, uh, or on the social development level, we cannot do that without putting mental health as a priority, without prioritizing psychological sustainability. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my research focuses on the notion that entrepreneurs are able to and can be instrumental in creating 
value for the society and for the environment. So research has shown that mm. entrepreneurs are able to fill roles that are not filled by the government in mm -hmm. times of crisis, for example. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurs create products and services that are very needed, specifically in times where there are very little resources. And so entrepreneurs can be very vital to creating sustainable social as well as ecological value. Mm. Of course, the opposite is also true because uh, businesses also reuse a lot of environmental resources. But they can also create a lot of things that can or create a lot of products and services that do support the ecological environment. And my research focuses on seeing those intersections of entrepreneurship with sustainability. And so seeing, first of all, what makes entrepreneurs create sustainable value? Mm -hmm. What are the characteristics of entrepreneurs uh, that help them to increase social impact through their businesses? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, what processes they take uh, into doing so and what support they require, what motivates them. And in the same time, what challenges them? So trying to combine those like micro perspective from the psychological level of the entrepreneur to macro institutional perspectives of how does how do policies impact how entrepreneurs do their work? How do new technological developments hinder or support entrepreneurs in reaching their full potential. Mm -hmm. um, and by full potential, I mean like by reaching sustainable impacts through their businesses, by helping reduce suffering through their business activities. Yeah, yeah this is amazing. So, you know, in the Me Suite, we like to leave with aspirational but practical advice. Everything that comes out of your mouth is inspirational. Oh, thank you. But what practical advice do you want to leave for us for things that we could start doing differently on Monday, just based on this incredibly differentiated perspective that you have? So what I like to do on a Monday and when I'm trying to plan my week is I look at all the things that I want to accomplish that week. I look at my calendar, the tasks that are outstanding. And for each of those things for each of those tasks. Mm -hmm. If that task, if that action is not a hundred percent absolute, hell yes, then it's just a no. <laughs> I know that sounds too simple. <laughs> and I know that sometimes it's very difficult to know what is a hell yes, but a hell yes is something that you know, and you are convinced that this is something that really needs to be done. And you're not only doing it because you feel someone else is going to be really upset if you don't. And that's mm -hmm. the only reason. Um, or because maybe the society doesn't accept that uh, if you or if you if you're being judged if you don't do this particular thing. So being yes means that you're intrinsically motivated, that there is something from inside of you that tells you that this is a yes. And so keep that on your calendar. Otherwise, if it's not a hundred percent yes, then it's a no. So does that mean that there was a risk that when I contacted you to be on the me suite, I needed to pass this hell yes filter? Hell yes. <laughs> All right. I mean. <laughs> All right. I, <laughs> I made it through. Absolutely. You made it through. <laughs> I mean, and this is one thing. I didn't really reply to your email also about like scheduling this podcast immediately because I took a couple of days to think, mm. is this a hell yes? Does it feel like a hell yes? Do I really want to do this? Because I will spend a few hours preparing for this of and course. talking and doing this. Yeah. But what does it feel like? And then, you know, I slept on it. And then the next day I was feeling, you know what? This really is a hell yes. Yeah. So, oh, my you, goodness. Donna. Oh, well, 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 I and the listeners are honored to have had you here. 
and just to learn from your experiences and this incredible perspective at the intersection of business and not-for-profit, I'm going to reread this magical quotation that you are living at the intersection of combining the intention of the not-for-profit world with the action of the for-profits. And that is where this magical, sustainable societal change comes from. Absolutely. Yeah. So Dr. Lubna Rashid, you were put on this planet at this time on this topic for a reason. And I cannot wait to see what you do in your next 32 years as your self-professed nerd with big dreams. Thank you so much for sharing yourself today in the Me Suite. Thank you so much, Donna. I feel so inspired and energized to have been here. So thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us in the Me Suite. For executive and career coaching services, contact me, Donna Peters, at themesuite.com, LinkedIn, and Twitter. The website is the-me-suite.com. Suite is spelled like executive suite. And if you like what you're hearing, give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps us continue to shine a mic on more amazing people.